Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account. Welcome to a Kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, It's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to to be comfortable talking about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money is incredibly important to their to their security and to their their happiness. In this episode, we'll be talking about the housing market, including how to make renting work as a good long-term strategy. Plus, all the tips for beating a mortgage. And if you have topic suggestions or questions you'd like answered, send us an email, podcast at kindling.com.au. So do you rent or do you own your own house or rather does the bank own your own house? Uh, No, look, we rent currently. Um, we are located in Sydney and it means the housing market is, uh, at this point, beyond our reach. So we rent and we, we actually rent quite happily because we uh, are in a position where we can save uh, more money than we would be able to if we were committed to a mortgage. Yeah, for us, it ticks our boxes. And we bought our house at the end of 2014 and while there's been kind of, you know, increase in the, the market, Since then, on paper, it's looking like a good investment. Whether that continues, I don't know. Uh, But prices were already extremely high when we bought in and we have quite a large mortgage uh, to service. So I guess you've got a host in both camps. That's exactly right. And I mean, look, I think there's, I'm always interested in how people manage the cost of their housing. You know, I, I'm always fascinated. It's not something that you talk about, you know, how big is a person's mortgage and how much um, do you pay off? But but when I do have conversations with girlfriends about that, I find it really enlightening because I think that there is so much mystery um, around how people make their household finances work. And I think you actually can learn a lot when you actually, not in a, it's it's you know, not in a malicious way at all, but I think actually understanding the nuts and bolts of how people's finances work is quite empowering in itself. And I think there's a lot of pressure um, on people to feel that they need to to buy a home. And like you're making renting work for you at this stage, you know, renting can be a good answer for a lot of people. I mean, I think one good reason to buy is, you know, the security of tenure that you're not going to have a landlord kind of kick you out every six months. And certainly I've known some people who've gone through... um, an awful lot of hassle from from having to move when they didn't want to. But, you know, the other reason people buy is because they think it's going to be a good investment in the long run. And there are other ways to, to tick that box. If buying a home that you want to live in, in an area that you want to live in, if that's not on the cards for you right now, uh, then, you know, renting can be a good option. I would say that the lack of security around tenure is is probably, from our perspective, the biggest downfall with renting. Uh, having said that, we have been in our house for three years and we've signed another one-year lease. And I feel like if we have four years in, in that property, that's a pretty good 
stretch of time, uh, you know, there definitely is pressure to buy. We are constrained because of a couple of different factors with work that mean we, we have to be here. And our long-term plan is to eventually buy in Sydney. But at this stage, renting, renting works for us without the extraordinary pressure um, of a mortgage. And I think that that's a factor that has come up when I've spoken to girlfriends recently who are looking at their position and, and, and contemplating buying. If it's going to create financial stress in, in real terms, then that is a very big consideration. You know, would you agree? Well, financial stress is very common. Um, I, I think about 30% of Australians actually experience it, according to some research I've seen. And it's not just people who don't have uh, resources and money. It can also be people who have a good income, but they're overcommitted or something, you know, they have an accident and they're underinsured. It can be for all sorts of different reasons. And in turn, financial stress puts a lot of uh, pressure on people's mental health and well-being and a lot of pressure on relationships. So, you know, there are definitely downsides to taking on too much, Uh but, you know, it's also the fact that, you know, renting can be a, a, a positive thing. In my day job as um, money editor at Fairfax, I was speaking to a financial planner recently and he wrote a piece for me on the kind of financial plan for people who intend to be lifelong renters. And he suggested that, first of all, you should try to keep rent to 30% of your um, take-home income because above that, it's just going to constrain your capacity to save and it's, you know, it's dead money. It's not paying anything off in the long term. But if you can keep it below 30% and then kind of in, invest your money in, you know, s- save it in the bank, but then maybe kind of look at um, other investments such as index funds where your money is spread um, amongst different shares. It's kind of, you know, spreading the risk, but you're kind of getting the benefits of uh, tracking up when the share market does, which though it kind of, you know, rises and falls, it does tend to go up over time. Mm. And, you know, there's also rent vesting, great term. Yeah, Uh, I love it. (laughs) Where people rent where they want to live and they buy an investment property in another area where they don't want to live, but they think that there could be good, you know, Mm. capital growth and steady rent returns and, and so on. So there are lots of options out there. For a family that does have a mortgage, what are a few tips and tricks that you have learnt um, in your day job or indeed as a uh, mortgage holder to, to reduce that debt? Well, I talked about this in the uh, the first episode as well. Like, I think using an offset account is really important. What that means is that any money that's in that account is kind of deemed to be paid off your mortgage whilst it's in the account. So you're effectively not paying interest on that debt of the equivalent amount. Yep. Um, and what you, what you can do with an offset account is you can, you and your partner or yourself, if it's just you, can have your income paid into there and then you take your living expenses directly out of it, just use it as an ordinary transaction account um, and that way the money is in there till the last possible moment. And if you're good with credit, and I'm only suggesting this if you are good with credit, you have to know yourself. If you're not good with credit, then don't get a credit card because it can be a debt trap. But if you are good with credit, what I do, what works in my family is we have our money paid into the offset account. We have a credit card 
We put all of most of our living expenses through the credit card. So we get 30 days of uh, free interest where our money is staying in the offset account. And then we pay it off in full every month. So we don't pay any interest on that credit card. Um, So that's an extra 30 days that that money is working for us, chipping away at our mortgage. But like I say, you you can only do that if you are going to pay it off in full. Otherwise, you know, it, it can lead to trouble. That's a really good practical strategy, I suppose, that that wouldn't be that difficult to implement necessarily. What about refinancing? How easy do you think it is for people to sort of shop around and and get a better deal? Look, I I think it's not as hard as people think. I think that it's it's a good idea to keep an eye on the market. There are lots of um, websites where you can kind of try to get comparisons of different rates Or you could talk to a mortgage broker who can help you make sense of that because the thing is you might see a really low rate advertised but it might not have the features you want like the offset account. So I like talking to a mortgage broker to kind of, you know, well, of the accounts that kind of tick my boxes, what one is the the best one for me right now? Other people like to do it themselves and, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. But I, I do think it's important to have a look at what's out there. There are lots of uh, good mortgages that tick all those boxes that start with a three. There are lots that start with a four. I don't think that people need to be paying interest of uh, 5% or more, you know, unless, you know, there are special circumstances that mean that, you know, they're not, not a kind of ideal customer for a bank Um, and, you know, then it can be harder. But for most people, they should be able to get a better rate than what the figures tell us people are paying on average. So I think there's a bit of a laziness tax happening there. Yeah, right. Uh, So, and look, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but during your time as a homeowner, have you changed your mortgage? Yes, I have actually. And that's only, uh, so we bought at the end of 2014. So that's only three years. We financed, refinanced a year ago. um, And actually, it wasn't a better rate, but it was to a bank where we wanted to do all the rest of our banking because we were just finding that we were running too many different accounts and money wasn't where we wanted it to be when we wanted it to be. Mm. And so we got the same rate, but with a bank that ticked more of those kind of lifestyle convenience factors. So, Caitlin, do you have a contingency planned for for interest rates going up and or do you have a suggested contingency plan for for, for people with mortgages? So I think if you need the certainty uh, that, that it's worth looking around at the fixed versus variable rates. So fixed rates are where you and the bank agree that the interest rate will be X percent for a period of time, usually about, you know, three years or, you know, I think it can go up to five years. And regardless of what happens with the cash rate, it will just stay at that level. And you don't have to fix all of your home loan. You can, you can go 50-50 or, you know, you can just fixed part of it. The downside is that variable rates where it goes up and down with the cash rate tend to be lower. And if you go with a fixed rate, you're kind of locked in. You can't really refinance without paying some kind of extra fees. Uh, So you've got kind of a lot more flexibility and freedom um, with variable. So for people where they really need that certainty, 
you know, they've got to do their budgets kind of quite tightly, then I think they should look at fixed. It's probably a good time right now. Like, you know, I can't imagine interest rates going any lower from here. And even if they do go lower, they won't go much lower because it's 1.5% is the official cash rate, lowest in history. But for me, we stayed 100% variable because we're paying extra off our mortgage already. Um, We know that we can kind of deal with price rises when and if they come. And I'd rather kind of just have the lowest rate right now to make the most inroads that I can um, while the rates are down this low. And what about, is there a contingency plan for renters? So if their landlord does sell and and their, their lease is cut short? I think everyone, and this isn't just for renters, uh, should probably have an emergency fund of, uh, you know, three months income that's kind of stashed away and accessible. Um, And, you know, for homeowners, that can be in an offset account where you can draw on it easily. For renters, then, you know, probably in a a high interest savings account, you know, maybe not a term deposit because there'd be, you know, fees associated with breaking that. I don't think there's much you can do about what landlords will and won't do apart from getting political and trying to, you know, change the law. But, you know, you can certainly... That's not really of... a short-term solution, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can certainly make sure that you've got some funds available to deal with whatever happens and, you know, and that can be useful for a whole lot of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, look, it is one of those things that as, as someone who is a renter, as I said, we have been in our place for three years now and we, we've got another year's lease, but... We are always conscious that things could change and, and moving is expensive. Moving is really expensive. And when you're a homeowner, it becomes even more expensive because you've got to pay a stamp duty when you buy the new property. And, uh, you know, people estimate there might be about $100,000 in kind of transaction fees that are just lost when you sell one property and buy another. So, uh, you know, I guess the other thing to look at if you're already a homeowner is renovating, you know, maybe building an extension. I mean, there's a bit of a renovation boom going on. Everyone's, you know, wanting to do it. But if you can look at it in terms of trying to get more utility out of the home that you and your family are in and not having to move, then there's, um, well, there's a $100,000 payoff right there, isn't there? Because you don't have to move. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money, with Caitlin Fitzsimmons, and me, Georgie Dent. In this episode, we're talking about housing. Still to come, we'll be discussing whether it makes sense to get a mortgage broker or use independent research, and how loan applications can affect your credit rating. Caitlin, what about in the instance of a rental increase? Is there a way that you think you can budget for that? I think that you can know how much rents tend to go up year by year or what rents are doing in your area um, and, you know, factor in a bit of buffer into your budget for a year or two down the line. Um, You can also try to sign longer leases, but you don't always get that option. Uh, And you can always walk. If if the rent increase that's being asked isn't uh, fair, you know, you can go and find another place to live. It's a hassle, especially when you have kids, but you know, you do, you do have that right. But I suppose it is also worthwhile to sort of look at the overall cost because, you know, as, as we just said, the cost of moving isn't nothing. And so even, I mean, I suppose when you, when an increase is put on the table, you do have to calculate what that cost is over the term of the lease. 
and weigh it up against what is the alternative. Because if you have to move and if you want to move into a similar area, the rental increase you're facing is probably a reflection on the market. So it's not, you know, unless you are able or willing to move to a completely different Mm. area, it might be hard to avoid. Well, it might be a reflection of the market or it might be that the landlord and the agency knows that moving is a hassle and people don't want to move and so they're going to try to see what they can get. So... I would say you need to have a need to do your research and then have a kind of keenly argued negotiation and uh, you know maybe you do have to accept it. Rent doesn't tend to go up by as much as uh, mortgages do when interest rates rise. So, you know, you can kind of feel smug and feel like you've dodged a bullet there if that makes things any better. Absolutely. I I do just want to bring up the fact that, um, you know, in in one of my recent columns for Fairfax Media in the money section, I I wrote about um, a young couple who actually own a house in Sydney, but it's not suitable for their family to live in. And they were weighing up their options about you know, renting somewhere bigger than they currently were um, or buying something bigger. And and they actually did the numbers and and ended up moving um, out of Sydney temporarily uh, to near Wollongong. And the savings that they are facing across the board in terms of childcare and rent is really compelling. And I I do think that when when, when we are talking about things like rental increases and mortgage stress, if, if that is impacting a family to a point where it's just not sustainable, there are other options. And I think it is worth having a look around and seeing what other options are out there. That's true. Um, And also one question I get asked a lot is whether you should, if you've got any extra cash, whether you should pay extra off your mortgage or squirrel as much as you can into super. And there's two ways to look at that. And one is that you might be paying 4.5% on your mortgage and your super might be returning 8%. So from that perspective, the super's looking a lot better. But then the other side of that is that you don't get access to your super until you're, uh, well, for my age, 60. And, you know, that probably will only go up uh, between then and now. Um, You know, whereas, you know, with your mortgage, you know, you can kind of draw on it for other things or you may sell the house and do other things. Um, and there's a lot more flexibility there. And interest rates may go up. The The payments that you're making on your mortgage might be a lot more in 10, 15 years time. And you, if you haven't kind of paid that debt down, that can be you know, a lot scarier process. I always think people should retire without debt. And yeah, you can get your lump sum super and, and pay the mortgage off then. But I think it's a good idea to kind of get rid of the, the mortgage debt as, as quickly as you can. So tell me, if, if a couple or a family or an individual are looking at, at sort of getting into the housing market and buying a house, how would you um, guide them in terms of do, do they find a good mortgage broker? Do they do their own research? What do you think is a smart strategy? I think some mortgage brokers are great, especially if they kind of have a lot of knowledge about um different products and if they have relationships with different lenders and so on. But there's also a lot of really average mortgage brokers out there. So you kind of need to ask around with friends and do some research and ask questions of the broker and and so on. I think either way, whether you use a broker or not, it's essential to do your own research because at the end of the day, it's your money, right? Yeah. And you, you're responsible for making decisions about your money. So I think you, you need to... You need to know as much as you can. And, you know, I think it's a good idea to kind of find out what 
products and what rates different lenders are offering. And it's a good idea to kind of use the calculators to figure out how much you can borrow and what the repayments would be and then stress test that. If if interest rates went up to, say, 8%, could you still afford it? And, you know, and answer those questions about your living expenses honestly. And, you know, I think you need to do all of that. The one thing that you shouldn't do is just start making applications willy-nilly because the minute you make an application for credit, whether it's a mortgage or uh you know, a credit card or anything else, it's recorded on your credit report. And we now have uh, comprehensive credit reporting, kind of where it's warts and all and everything's recorded. And if you make multiple applications for credit, it looks really bad and it affects your credit rating. So even in the instance of, of you, say you did apply for a couple of different options and chose the best one. If you go to the extent of a formal application, Yes. Right. If you're just kind of looking at what they've got, but you don't actually apply, then no. Okay. Uh, So I think you need to do all of your research and then kind of figure out what you want to do and then decide if you're going to do it yourself or let a broker put in the application. But yeah, just pause before you start applying. That's good advice. I'm interested. You said earlier in, in terms of the, the advice that the um, financial planner wrote around renting and those numbers, and he said that you know ultimately you shouldn't be paying more than 30% of your income on rent. Is there a similar guidepost when it comes to a mortgage? It's a similar calculation in some ways. Some definitions of mortgage stressor where it's more than 30% of your um, income going on the mortgage. But I think that is also a little simplistic because if it's 30% of a low income, then you're living on 70% of a smaller income and it can be very challenging. Mm. Um, If it's 30% of a very high income and that 70% that you're living on is actually pretty kind of cushy, then, uh, you know, I don't think that's truly mortgage stress. So, you know, there's not a hard and fast definition. Mm. I think the most important thing for people is to think about the fact that interest rates are at the lowest rate in history and that they inevitably will rise, if not next year or in the next five years. At some point over the 25 or 30 year term of your mortgage, they will probably rise. And, you know, it could come sooner than you think. So make sure you do the sums based on higher interest rates. I would say, you know, if if the cash rate went to 8%, which seems a long way off now, but it's it's a, a good thing to kind of look at when mm. you're considering if you can afford it over the long term. And the other side to that is while interest rates are very low, if you try to make uh, extra payments, if you if you figure out, well, actually, I can afford, uh, you know, the interest rates at X, well, start paying repayments as if the interest rates were at X. And then all of that extra money you're paying will chip away at the mortgage. And when interest rates go up, you'll have already reduced the debt by so much, it, it won't really matter. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to drop us a line. Podcast at kindling.com.au. And we do have a question from a listener. I'm Rita from Paddington in Brisbane writes, I've been married for a year. We have a mortgage and both work. We have no excess money to build a buffer in our mortgage, but I want to have a baby. 
what can I expect from the government in terms of financial support? So I guess the first thing, Amrita, is that you and your partner will be eligible for parental leave paid by the government. That's 18 weeks at the minimum wage. Uh, but and, sh- and two extra weeks for, or two other weeks. For, for the other, for the second partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you should both of you um, inquire with your employers about any extra parental leave that your employer might offer on top of that. And, and the other thing is if you've got any um, additional annual leave, some employers do allow you to take that. I know when I was with one of my employers, I took um, annual leave at half pay to extend the weeks of paid parental leave that I got. Um, And that was quite an effective way of just getting us a little bit more time. That's great. And there's also uh, the family tax benefits, uh, Part A and Part B. That's going to depend on um, income. So you should definitely look to see if you're eligible for that. Thanks for writing, Amrita. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm Georgina. And I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money. Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings Account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dearbump. Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.